know about you, but I always get a little scared back in the day when people talk about the Holy Spirit because I had all sorts of ideas about the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does. Mostly I thought of weird people. The more I think about it, the more I realize with, with or without the Spirit, some people are just weird. You know that, like, I remember when me and my wife first started homeschooling our kids when they were real young. They ended up going through public school later, but when we were homeschooling them, it's really funny because people would tell us, man, are they going to get socialized? They're going to be really weird. And I would say, yeah, that's, you might be right, but uh, have you ever considered there's a lot of weird kids in public school? <laughs> so maybe it's the family. Maybe it's the parents. There's weird people. There's weird things out there. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, I know before I really understood who the Holy Spirit was, especially according to Jesus, I had an idea of what the Holy Spirit was like and who he was like because of some of the people and the family members that I had. In fact, Christmas is coming up, which we love this holiday. It's so great. One of our favorite movies we love to watch every year as a family is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Anybody fans of that? Okay, it's an older movie. It came out in 1989. And of course, you've got the infamous Cousin Eddie. This is the picture that I get when I think of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity of God. You got the family of God and you got Cousin Eddie. What is he going to do? Do we even want to invite Cousin Eddie? Because he's crazy. He's a little weird. He's a wild card. We can't control him. He is different. This is a lot of people and what they think about the Holy Spirit or their experience with the Holy Spirit. I remember for me growing up, my parents divorced when I was about 12 years old, but I remember very distinctly the first time I heard about the Holy Spirit. I was in the car with my dad. I was about nine years old. It's so about three years before him and my mom were getting a divorce. And I remember it was nighttime and we had just left my grandmother's house, which you don't know about my grandmother, on my mom's side, which would be my dad's mother-in-law. He, he wasn't really a big fan of her. He would call her crazy. She was one of those word of faith, hardcore, charismatic, that would like pray in tongues while walking in the mall, and everybody's like, okay, okay. And I remember a conversation my dad was telling me, Chris, watch out. Your, your, your grandma's a little crazy. Watch out for those people that talk about the spirit, pray in tongues, do all this kind of stuff. You gotta watch out for those people. And in fact, I remember being a young age, he would even mention that that's the devil. That's not God. And we would go to church every once in a while. We were those that were kind of in and out. Never served the church, that's for sure. We would just come and kind of get our thing, but... I didn't see a lot of change in my family. In fact, my mom and my dad were very distant and they fought a lot. So much so, I mean, they fought and fought. They would be yelling. Me and my sister were here as she's two years older than me. And I remember being 12 years old, telling them, why don't y'all just get a divorce? This is stupid. They did get a divorce when I was 12. And my mom remarried. She actually dated my stepdad for six weeks and got married. If any of you have uh, step-parents, it's very interesting. If you're anything like me, it's really weird because now I got like two dads. My bachelor dad, and I remember the first time I called my stepdad dad in front of my dad on accident. Oh, he was mad. 
And so I never did that. Even to this day, I call him Jimmy. My mom married Jimmy in about 1992. I was 12 years old. I actually was the one uh, that gave her away in the, in the wedding. Uh, my sister's two years older than me. I, I hadn't even hit puberty yet, so it was me saying, who gives this bride away? My sister and I. I mean, just like that. I mean, my voice is masculine now. Um, and I remember, I'm trying to get to know this guy. I've literally known six to seven weeks. They got married quick. And, and sh- my mom didn't know him before, in case you're wondering. They get married. The thing about Jimmy was he was a youth pastor. And he loved the Lord. Now, I've seen relationships my whole life with my mom and my, my biological father, and it was crazy. Relationally, they were all over the place, fought all the time. I mean, it was wild, like I said. And now Jimmy is treating my mom very, very different. And my mom was 15 when she had my sister, 17 when she had me. So we, we, she, they were kids, raising kids. And so what I saw in my mom the previous 14 years her and my dad were married was a very different person I started seeing when she married Jimmy. See, Jimmy would open the door for her, and I'm like, bro, what you doing? That's a lot, it's a lot quicker. We could get places faster if you just get in the car. He's going around, open the door. They're holding hands. They're like caring about each other. And then the thing about Jimmy that I saw, he was not a perfect man, but he was a man that was willing to be perfected by God. He loved God. And honestly, I can say this is the first time I met somebody that loved God, that I like knew. You know, you'd see the preacher up there, you would think, ah, you know, whatever. You know, we have such a cynicism to us about people because we've been hurt. And, and the air we breathe right now, the air is cynicism and it's choking us to death in our culture today. We don't trust anybody. We suspect everybody. And I was young and had that because the relationship I saw with my mom, I didn't know who this guy was. And I'm trying to figure out what does this mean to have another dad? Because sometimes he would try to have some authority things on me and I'd be like, you ain't my dad? <laughs> if you've ever been there. I remember actually one time we were in our apartment because we didn't have a lot of money and so we had a two-bedroom apartment. Jimmy moves in and me and my sister who's two years older than me, we're sharing the same bedroom and we're laughing and cutting up and he yells out, y'all be quiet, we're trying to go to bed. And I thought, you ain't my dad. Authority, uh, I don't know you. But one thing I started to grow in respect for him is because... The way I saw, he was genuinely like praying and loving God. And I started seeing a change even in my mom. Confidence, assurance. The only thing that changed is now she actually felt and experienced love. And it started to change her identity. And I started seeing her in a different light. I started learning how to respect her because he made me. Fast forward to... My junior in high school, I moved to California. I was living in Texas at the time because I was one of those kids, parents divorced, I could decide, do I want to live with dad or do I want to live with mom? And, you know, I'm a kid, so the one that was most advantageous to me at the time. I decided it's time to move, and my mom and Jimmy had moved to Apple Valley, California. 
It's about an hour and a half southeast of LA. And I was real nervous. I've lived in Texas my whole life, all over San Antonio, Temple, Lubbock, Abilene, born in Odessa, which we call Slow Deatha. And I, all my life. And so I'm like, California, I don't know. I'm a little nervous. I'm scared. But I felt like, man, I, I, I want to go there. And I go there. And this is the first time I had to really fully consistently go to church. I mean, all the time because my stepdad was a youth pastor there at the church. And they would drag me all the time and I would go. And I'm telling you, even as a teenager, that was a pretty good kid. I was a pretty good kid. I, I didn't always want to go to church, of course. But every time I went, my parents like drug me. Every time I'm serious, afterwards, I would be thankful. I'd be like, man. And, and, and the Bible talks about this, like the seed of God, which is the word of God, the gospel that goes out. It hits different ground a different way. And every time, even though there was hard parts and different, every time I, I would get something, I would be thankful. And every once in a while I'd say, hey, that was good. I'm glad I came. And, but then the next week, I'm tired. And they would drag me. And I just want to say as a child that was dragged to, to church, that drag your kids to church. If there's anything you should bring them to is church. Where they're hearing and getting the message. Because I believe it prepared me for the message and to meet the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit was weird to me because as I moved to California, it was like this non-denominational church. So it was very different, kind of like ours. And there was this lady, I would sit on the second row, and there was this lady that was on the front, front row. And she would, I mean, like the whole thing, like, oh my gosh. And I was used to like hymnal, sit down, hymnal, just as I am, 10 choruses, wait, 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 altar call. Wait, wait, we need more. I mean, that's what I was used to. And this lady's like crazy. And I'm thinking, I, I'm not interested in this. This is weird. This was my experience first with some level of the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking, I don't know about this. And I remember as I'm coming and I'm getting a little bit more comfortable, I started to drum for my youth group. And I, I enjoyed drumming. I was a musician growing up. And so I started drumming, and our youth group was gr growing. It was, it was about 50 kids, and we had a band. And so I'm on my way. I'm driving my 1987 Ford Ranger XLT Red that was a hand-me-down for my sister. She actually wrecked it in San Antonio, and they never fixed it and said, here's your car. <laughs> I'm driving this, and my mom is sitting next to me. And I'm driving her to youth, and I've got to get there early because I am drumming. And I remember she looks at me, and she says, Chris, when are you going to really give your life to Christ? I, I believe the Holy Spirit encounters us in two ways. What we would call a truth encounter and a power encounter. I was blessed to get both, as you'll hear by the end of this story. This was the truth encounter. When the truth hits you and it hurts and you're like, ah, but I was not ready to hear it because I'm driving. I'm going, who do you think you are asking me this? I'm on my way to drum for Jesus. While I had my cutoff shirt, because I was a little buff back then, I was really drumming for Jesus. <laughs> Ladies. I was offended. Truth will often offend you. The Holy Spirit's not afraid to offend you. As I like to say, the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And in order to truly be your comforter, he has to make you uncomfortable sometimes. The truth hurt, and I remember going to church, and I, I, mean, I drummed hard that day, and I came home, and I remember that was just echoed. How did, I can't believe she'd say that. Look, I'm, I'm a good kid. I'm, I, I don't, what do I do wrong? My sister's rebellion. I'm a good, and I'm just me, 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 me. I'm, 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 and 
I started reading my Bible a little bit myself for the, probably one of the first times. About two weeks later, my stepdad, Jimmy, says, hey, Chris, why don't you come? We've got this men's conference. There's a couple hundred men going off to Big Bear. Uh, there's this retreat center. We're going to go there with a bunch of men. And I said, no, I don't really want to go. I'm, I'm, I'm a junior in high school. I'm 17. I, I'm not a man. Like, I'm not, I'm not interested in that right now. And, and he was like, no, you, you should go. I was like, are there any other youth going to be there? And I found out there was one other guy, and it was the kid I didn't like. I know you guys love everybody, but for me, it was like, this guy was a punk. Like, oh, I just did not like this guy. And I was like, I, I, I don't know if I want to go, but I kind of got drug again. And I remember driving up to Big Bear with him. It was about 45 minutes to an hour. We drove in together, and then he was on the worship team, amazing electric guitar player. And so he's on the worship team. And so I'm kind of stuck. I don't know anybody. I'm around a bunch of guys, adults, that I don't know anything about. And you guys know, I mean, like youth and adult, we should be able to work together, but it's always awkward. You always feel like, like they're bigger than you, and then the adults are awkward towards you. They don't know what to say to you. They're like, hey, how's school? And you're like, hey, there's more to my life than school. And there's always like this awkward thing. And I remember that, like, I don't know how to relate and they don't know how to relate with me. And so I remember right before the, the first service we were going to have, and there was like this amphitheater. So imagine like this, this stage was the stage and then it went up like this. Before we went into the service, I'm just kind of looking around like, what am I going to do? And I saw a pool table. I grew up without any cousins, so Christmases and Thanksgiving were really lonely. I learned how to play with like little army men and like all these kind of things. My grandmother had a pool table in the garage so that I would play pool by myself all day long. So I'm pretty good at pool. I could probably beat most of you, but just kidding. I saw a pool table in like this little rec room before we went inside and I was like, oh, man, awesome. So I started playing pool, and then I, I met a guy, and he came in. He had this long hair and tattoos, and, and he was just kind of real authentic. I've never seen him before. Start talking to him, and we start playing pool, and it's like, okay, this is cool. You know, guys can communicate and get in a relationship around activity really well. And so I'm getting to know this guy, and then and it's like, okay, it's time to go in. So I go in. We have worship. Again, I'm up, like, uh, like out because the stage is on the ground because there's an amphitheater and I'm up and we're worshiping stuff like that and I'm like okay and this guy they brought in this guy from New Zealand they called him a prophet and I was like okay prophet and uh, his name is Greg Burson and he preached and at the end he had this altar call and I remember like all these guys started coming to this altar call and they start flooding the altar call and again I'm on the amphitheater so I'm kind of up above kind of like how I am with you guys because the stage is down here people start coming to the altar call and they're getting prayed for I'm seeing guys like crying and on their knees and like God's really moving and I'm just like okay because it's interesting when you go to a service and the Holy Spirit moves like in a room it, it, it I liken it to uh, microwaving a hot pocket when you microwave a hot pocket, you got some cold spots, you got some really, really hot spots, you got some lukewarm spots. When the Holy Spirit shows up, you can have somebody sitting right next to you that's just like, <laughs> and the person right next to them is just like, I don't feel nothing. <laughs> I was the, I don't feel nothing, but the Holy Spirit was moving because the Holy Spirit works on receptivity. He wants to be welcomed. It's really interesting because I started watching all this happen and then I got, you know, kind of bored. It was having a long time and I'm like, this is a retreat. And I started talking to this guy I really didn't like that was youth. We start talking and I'm talking to him. All of a sudden I see a chair fly across the room and I look and I'm like, what's going on? And I see that guy that I was playing pool with earlier. 
And he is on the ground, crawling like a dog and growling. Not only that, a bunch of these men have gathered around him and are trying to hold him down because he is freaking out. This was like marvel strength. He's pu- pushing people. Like, you might not believe me. I'm not exaggerating at all. He is throwing people. In fact, I found out afterwards how this guy got here. This guy is a good 120 pounds, tiny, tiny guy. His brother, who's about 350, showed up to the church a week before this men's retreat and called out to the pastor, like, I need somebody. The pastor healed him. He got delivered because he was in the occult. In fact, he had a swastika tattooed on his lip, a big demon around his chest, and he had been in the occult for a long time. He got radically saved and was like, who can I bring to this men's retreat? My brother, who's also in the occult, brings him in. I find this out afterwards because I'm seeing this little dude throwing, hurling people like crazy. And I'm sitting there going, what did I sign up for? This is nuts. Why am I here? Where's my Baptist church? <laughs> I remember how crazy it was because you get a bunch, you get like chaos happening. And then you start getting those people that are like, in Jesus' name, and just yelling and freaking out. And people don't know what to do. And it's chaotic. I remember seeing my stepdad, Jimmy, who was on the guitar, he runs up and I was like, well, where's the pastor? Like, where's the pastor? The pastor was actually on the ground crying and getting ministered to himself. And so, which is great. We need ministry as much as anybody. But Jimmy runs up the stairs and he's looking at the chaos and I'm looking at Jimmy like, what did you bring me to? And I see him go up and like this, in the midst of the screaming and the yelling, in Jesus' name, be still. The guy fell flat on his face, and I watched the whole thing, and it got quiet. If you've ever had a problem with honoring your parents, especially a step-parent, watch them shut a demon up. I'm like, oh, you need me to take out the trash? Got it, got it. Do the dishes? I got it. You talk about honor going up because I'm like, what? And then the second thought is, this stuff's real? I thought it was just like being good people and trying your best and loving on Jesus. This stuff's real? Not only did I have a truth encounter, then I saw the power of God in action, but not in the way that I thought or TBN had showed me. I saw someone with authority, and the thing that was so impactful about that authority is I knew this person. He wasn't on TV, he wasn't just on stage. I knew, again, not that he's perfect, but I knew he loved Jesus, and genuinely, there was something about the presence that he carried that with authority, not with a yell, not with a scream, not with a roll up the sleeves, let's go devil, but just with a word in Jesus' name, be still. This started me kind of on a journey of maybe God's not that bad. You know, it's interesting when you associate all God things with like crazy people, which the enemy loves to make you do by highlighting those few, few crazies versus actually finding someone that genuinely has a relationship with God and walks in that and he's not weird. There's an attraction to go, maybe I want to get to know God as well. And isn't that the first step of salvation? 
Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. Should be up on the screen for you. Jesus tells us all about who the Holy Spirit is. And he's sitting down with his disciples a good 12 to 15 hours before he's going to die. So, I mean, this is the last chance to talk to them. He's giving them intimate details, and it's just his disciples. It's not all these 5,000 people that he's healed and, and fed. It's just them. It's an intimate moment. And he's trying to convey something, and look what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, before we go forward with the rest of what he's going to say, we got to understand he didn't say, you prove that you love me by obeying me. He says, if you love, the natural action is obedience. Just like today, if you say, I love golf, and I said, well, let's do a tea time tomorrow at 6 a.m., you're not going, really? You love golf. I'll get up at 6 a.m. Easy. I love it. The natural response of love, of any desire, is obedience. And Jesus says that. If you love me, of course you'll obey me. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even, he calls him, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, I highlighted the hymns in there because the first thing we need to see about this person is that he's a person. The idea about the Holy Spirit being a it or a thing or an active force like, like Star Wars, the force with you. The thing we like about that is we can control it. So it's like a thing. It's like an object I can control. But see, if the Holy Spirit is a person, I must come under his control. I've got to trust him, though. So what is he like? Jesus doesn't call him an it or a thing, but a person. What is he like? This word helper, it's really interesting. In the Greek, you'll see it in this slide here for all of you that read Greek, is parakletos. Parakletos means this, a person called alongside to help. Someone who is summoned to give assistance. Some other words that that word means and it denotes the idea of a counselor, a defender, a comforter, the helper. Jesus starts this whole soliloquy about the Holy Spirit saying this is who he is, the parakletos, the helper, the defender, the counselor. How many guys could use a help? I don't know about you, I need help to love people. I need help to love my spouse. I need help to love my neighbor. I need help to love my enemy that is commanded, so I better get some help for that because I can't do it by myself. Right. I need help. And Jesus says, I'm sending a helper. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that, of course, there is an enemy that wants to distort who the Holy Spirit is, so he's that weird person associated with all those weird people instead of a defender, a counselor. Now, we talk a lot about counseling and therapy in our church, and we aren't anti any of it. We're not anti-medicine. We're not anti. We say that and, that and, that and. Right. 
go to therapy, great, and get your counselor and remember the counselor. If you need a lawyer to defend you, remember your lawyer, but remember the defender. Because I don't know about you, when the enemy says stuff about who I am, I need somebody that comes to my defense for me. The helper. The comforter. When you're put in uncomfortable situations, often by God, it's an opportunity to call upon the one who's there to assist and help you, comfort you in your time of need. Jesus continues and talks about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. He says this, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he, he, not it, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. And we're thankful because today we read scripture from people that are continuing and shared what the Holy Spirit said and did. He continues in John 15 talking about the Holy Spirit. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, notice this, the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, the Spirit sends you. Whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, Man, in our world today, fake news and all the things, what is right, what is real, I need not just an ideology, I need a spirit of truth. I need to be able to discern what is the lie, what is happening. I need a helper. Look what he says, who proceeds from the Father. This is the Trinity, the triune nature of God. He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Oftentimes we think about the Holy Spirit. Again, it's got this mystery. Who is he? Jesus in the scripture actually refers several symbols. Here's just about six symbols to help you. Number one, you see wind. The Holy Spirit isn't wind. He's like wind. It's a metaphor to try to help you understand the things that he does and his functionality. And it's this idea that's unseen, yet you see the influence and activity of it. That's why when people are like, man, that was a really good message. Or, man, thank you for praying for me. And God really did this. I'm able to go, yeah, that wasn't me. That was God using me, but he is the one. What about the idea of water? Water is one of the words that it refers to. The Holy Spirit is the source of eternal life. Jesus refers to this rivers of living water refreshing us. And in that time, I mean, these were people that had to get up early, get their water for their day, for their cattle. I mean, it was a lot of work. So water was life. It was everything. What about the idea of seal? Now, not seal, but the seal of a certified, certification seal. And here's what it is. The Holy Spirit spiritually marks each believer as Christ and God's property. For those of you that are unassured about your faith in Jesus and am I saved, all that kind of stuff, the Holy Spirit's the one that says certified, yes. And he's the one that speaks to your heart that says, yes, you are, not based on your works, but based on Jesus's works. Oil. Not the oil we put in car, but this is typically an anointing type of oil, even medicinal oil. And it's this anointing that empowers us. What? To be weird? No. To work and do God's work. 
Also, two more. Fire. Holy Spirit and refines us. We'll talk more about this next week. And also imparts zeal. An all-consuming fire. And then lastly, I really like this one. A dove. You see this in Genesis. It says the spirit is hovering over the face of the deep. I like, you see it hovering. You see him hovering over Jesus at baptism. I like this one. One reason why I like this is when we went to Israel this last summer, some of you guys went with us. We had a biblical study tour. Got a picture here of an area called Masada. Masada means fortress. It was Herod the Great's fortress that he had near the Dead Sea, several miles from Jerusalem, and he had other homes, but he lived on this mount. He created out of this rock a fortress, a palace, and what you're looking at is not places to put your J's, like your shoes. Those are actually places that they would have doves. This is from 2,000 years ago. That's where the doves would be because they were able to train doves to go from the Dead Sea, from Masada to Jerusalem to deliver the first texts and they could get there in about 25 minutes and hit an exact target. In fact, today you could study, they still use doves and they have competitions and they have doves that fly 500 miles, 60 miles an hour. It could get there in eight and a half hours and hit an exact spot that it's supposed to. What I like about the Holy Spirit being the dove is he speaks directly to you and to you. He's communicating Jesus and God to you. He's communicating the will of God for your life. And he knows where you are. And he comes to us to speak. Jesus talks about the functionality as he's talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. See what he says here. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. In other words, believe me. I know this sounds crazy, but believe me. It is your advantage that I leave. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit sends you. Listen to what he's saying. This is Jesus who was with the disciples, healing everything. They're like, no, 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 don't leave. He's like, no, this is actually better for you. Because you're going to get the helper, the Spirit of truth. And he says this, and when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Notice what he says. I still have many things to say to you. but You can't bear them now. You're not ready. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, as we wrap up, looking at the functionality of the Holy Spirit, what I'm trying to do is help you see what an advantage it is to receive and trust in the Holy Spirit not to be afraid, not to think that's weird or that's those people, but we need his guidance. And I love, he gives the functionality. He will, look at the 
bold. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And I don't know about you, but when you read that face value, you just leave it there. I'm so thankful Jesus explained what he meant by that. Because a lot of us, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we think about people doing evangelism and yelling out, turn to burn. And it's not this loving, giving message. It's not this God wants to reconcile to you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to have a relationship with you. That's what the gospel is. God wants to have a relationship with you. Listen how Jesus defines this. Here's what he's going to do, three things. Concerning sin, he is going to convict you. Another word for that is convince you. Try to be convincing. Convince you what? Concerning sin. That you're just really, really bad and really evil? Well, we should know that by now. Here's what he's convincing you of. Because they don't believe in me. The ultimate sin is thinking, I got this on my own. Self-righteousness. Not believing I need a savior. The Holy Spirit's here. Yes, to help and do all these things. But also for you personally to go, you need a savior. You can't do it on your own. And then concerning righteousness. And what we hear right away is that the Holy Spirit feel really bad. That's why I go to church so I can feel really, really bad about myself. That's why a lot of people don't go to church. That's not what the Holy Spirit's doing. He says concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. What does that mean? He's saying, once you hear the Holy Spirit and are convinced that you can't save yourself, now the Holy Spirit continues the work of telling you that you are now a child of God, sealing that, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus for you. Because if you start to believe that, you start acting different. If Elon Musk, you found out today, was your dad. Now, some of you might not like his stance, but you would love his gifts. You'd be like, I'm buying that Porsche. Let's go. Inheritance. Let me tell you, concerning righteousness, what he's trying to say is because they don't believe in me, or sorry, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. What does that mean? I've done the work that I need to do in order to now position you to meet the Father, to be a child of God. He is constantly telling you, you're a king's kid. You're my kid. And this changes your life. Like I said, I watched my mom change from down, hurt, shame, nothing, to someone that said, that's not who you are. I love you. And it changed her whole identity. And so many of us don't know who we are in Christ because we're afraid of the Holy Spirit. We leave him behind and we continue to walk in the patterns that we're not called to walk in. And finally, he says, judgment, concerning judgment. He convicts, he convicts us concerning judgment. What? Turn or burn? No. Because the ruler of this world is judged. In other words, I came and I got the keys. That thing that's holding you down, that's keeping you a slave to your addictions, to yourself, to your flesh, that doesn't want you to love God, I defeated him. And the Holy Spirit tells you and reminds you and confirms in you that you are not a victim any longer. You are a victor in Christ Jesus. If you trust in what he has done, the Holy Spirit speaks the judgment of him and the righteousness of you in him. The Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. 
The Spirit sends you, sends you to work, to trust, to walk with one alongside you. He doesn't leave you alone as an orphan. He comes along to help you. Don't be afraid. Don't be weirded out. In fact, let go. Jesus says it this way, if God being good, you know of you being a good father, if your kid asks you for a fish, would you give them a serpent, a demon? God's not going to give you a demon. He says, how much better is our heavenly father? How much more will he give you the spirit of those who ask?